Today's call to worship reading will be in your pew Bible, Psalms 119, page 567, 31 or 33. I hold fast to your statue. O Lord, do not let me put in shame. I'll run the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Teach me, Lord, the way of your disgrace, that I'll follow it to the end. The New Testament reading will be found in Galatians 1, verses, no, Galatians 5, verse 1, 13 through 26. In your Pooh Bibles, it's page 1077. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are in the let, but, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. Today's Gospel reading will be from Pew Bible page 987. It is John chapter 8, verse 32, verse 33, and verses 37 through 58. Jesus, talking to the Jews who had believed him, said, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We're Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because I, you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illeg illegitimate children, they said. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I am here. 
I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, a liar, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. Microphones and I have a remarkable relationship that's challenging at best. I've asked for a divorce on multiple occasions, but just can't seem to rid myself of uh, the, the things. They record my every word, whether I want them to or not, and occasionally find me in embarrassing situations. Oh, well, anyway, the upshot is that now you can hear, for better or worse, every word. I'm going to continue that reading in John, starting in 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan, demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I say to you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I had said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Wow. This is one of the hottest dialogues I'm aware of in Scripture. It's pointed, it's name calling. It's got all kinds of things in it that are uncomfortable if we listen. And it's outrageous. Aren't you outraged at the thought that someone would point to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Someone would point to Jesus, this one who is healed and cast out demons and say, you're demon-possessed and the child of a devil? Aren't, you, aren't you, that a little outrageous to you? And don't you love the things that people gloss over? It's like when real people fight. They gloss over all kinds of things. Ladies, you may remember the stories from six months ago when we men didn't do something that we were supposed to do, but you sometimes forget a key detail in there. A detail that makes the story much more powerful and convenient. Like the Pharisees here. We have, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anyone. Um, uh, wait, 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 wait. Egypt ring a bell? 
400 years, Passover, all this, uh, you guys, not in your horizon. I've never been slaves to anybody. It's just the way we fight, isn't it? Sort of forget how important some of these details really are. Point I'm going to talk about today has to do with freedom. Freedom in positive terms and negative terms. And the story today is about this, this particular story. We have several readings. This particular story is about a group of people who believed they were free. They were Abraham's descendants, children of promise, and they believed they were free. So much so that they were in denial about 400 years of slavery. So much so that they failed to miss the vital and living connection with the living God who created them, who called Abraham to his own inheritance and land blessed Abraham. They're really having a hard time. And they're missing an incredible opportunity. And the dialogue is fierce. Jesus basically says back to them, if you were children of Abraham, you would welcome me. You would love me. You would know who I am. He foresaw. He knew. And they're saying, you're a child of the devil. Nobody speaks blasphemy like this. I love the words they, to them, I mean, it made their ears turn bright red and made their tempers rise and their blood pressure rise. They would have stroked out if they'd stayed there too long, but instead they picked up some stones to get the job done. You're not yet 50 years old, they say to Jesus, and you knew Abraham? And Abraham, Jesus says calmly, yeah. Before Abraham was... I am. Oh. Remember Moses taking slaves from Egypt? Finds himself, before that all happens, learning a few things. And he finds a bush that's burning with holy fire. It's not consumed. It's just burning. And he goes up to it. And the bush says to him, dude, take off your shoes. <laughs> Don't you have a clue? This is holy fire you're approaching. And you should know that because the bush is not consumed. It's burning but not consuming. Moses takes off his shoes. And Moses and God have this amazing dialogue. I love that the Bible records how people argued with God. Oh, I don't want to go. You can't. I don't want, I'm not the guy. I don't talk so good. I've forgotten my Egyptian. <laughs> Send somebody else. I, you know... I'm married now. I'm on the death. Jethro's a good guy. We got a nice thing happening out here. All right, so you're going to send me. Who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh sent me? 
and the bush or the God who is inhabiting this space speaks and says, tell Pharaoh that the ground of all creation, the ground of all being, the source of all identity, the fundamental root of all that is, is sending you. Say, I am sent you. It's cool, isn't it? I think it's cool. And so Jesus is here talking to the Pharisees and they bring up Abraham and he just trumps it all. Only in a really bad way for them. Before Abraham was, he didn't say I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. And they can't take it. And they're ready to kill him on the spot. And I don't know if he vanished like Philip with the eunuch or if he just stepped away. I don't know if it was some sort of judo move or what, but he got out of the way and cleared the space and lived to see another day. Jesus was indescribable that way. So why the harsh dialogue? It's because freedom isn't just an inheritance. So as I speak to our youth and all of you about freedom today, I'm trying to define it in positive and negative terms. And negatively speaking, it's not just an inheritance. Our father is Abraham and therefore we're free. Is, is a wonderful line of logic. There's something defining about our ancestry, about our parentage, something defining about being a child of God and a lineage of children of God. There's something very powerful about all of that, very meaningful. But Jesus is pointing out how if they were really children of Abraham, they wouldn't just claim the bloodline, they would act, right? Proof is in the pudding or fruits, so to speak. Jesus curses a fig tree because it's not acting like a free fig tree, right? It's not producing anything. A fig tree produces what? Figs. Does it have to struggle with that? No. And a child of God produces what? Fruit. What kind of fruit? Love, peace, joy, happiness, patience, kindness, long-sufferingness, goodness, charity, yes. Fruits, we, we produce these things. You know someone is God's child by how they behave, how they work, what they do, how they act. So the Pharisees in this case were vested with being God's children as an inheritance, just as all the Jews were. They were vested with the authority of the religious system. They were speaking as people who had power. They were speaking as people who had a form of righteousness because they were very um, careful with the law. But they were missing the power, weren't they? 
They had not plugged into the source of all being. They were not connected to the I am as Abraham had been connected to the I am. They were not, they were not, they were relying on an inheritance, not an action. And Jesus calls them on it. He says, just the fact that you're children of Abraham doesn't mean you are. Just the, just the, the lineage. If you were Abraham's children, you would know who I am and you would love me and you would receive me because that's what Abraham would do. When God comes to Abraham out of nowhere and says, look, I want you to go to a strange place, a place that I'll show you. I want you to just trust me for the journey. I want you to uproot your family. Now, that's nothing today. Well, at least in my family. I got like three in my immediate family. Come from a family of five. We're not prolific people. Some of you I know come from like nine brothers and sisters or 11 or whatever. I mean, blessings on you, but moving your family is more like moving Abraham's family than me moving my family is like moving Abraham's family. For us, it's not a big deal. But Abraham's talking about his, his wife, his, his son, his servants, her servants, all their cattle and sheep and everything. I mean, it's, it's a village. They're moving a village is what they're doing. And, and he says, God says, I want you to trust me for this journey. Let's just, let's just go. I'm going to show you a place. Now, most of us, most of us, if you're honest, you have a thousand questions, right? Oh, will there be a house there? How big is it? How many rooms? Does it have a pool? Is it hot there? Because I don't like it where it's hot. Although, you know, if it had a great barber and a cabana and a pool, I could probably swing with that. Air conditioning? Dual system or single? Is the electrical underground? Because I really hate the look of those telephone pole things everywhere. And please, is it Spanish lace, batten board, what? You know, I'm picky about these things. So, most of us would have a thousand questions for God. Where am I going? What's it going to look like? Who's there? What do I get to do to those people who are there? What's going to happen to them? Maybe Abraham did have a few questions. But he sorts it out. He goes, it's credited to him as righteousness. Don't you love that? Okay. So there's so many models in Scripture. We know that we don't save ourselves. Are we clear on that? We know that Abraham isn't perfect either. Are we clear on that? But he does what God asks him to do, and what does God say? Oh, I'm sorry, you're just really not good enough. Is that, is that the outcome of that? Abraham does what God asks him to do, and God says, you know what, I'm going to call that righteousness. We're, we're going to give you credit on this one. Is that a generous God? Yes. It is. Now, why is that significant? It's because Jesus is looking for the same thing. He wasn't looking for a perfect people when he came. He was looking for a people that could recognize the voice of God, who knew who their father was, who knew who his father was and who sent him. That's why Jesus says, believe. Right? For God so loves the world that anyone, so for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that anyone who believes on him should have what? Believe and it's credited to you as what? Righteousness. Are you righteous? It's 
credited to you as righteousness. In our story here, Jesus is interacting with a group of people who don't believe. They're inheritors of a promise, but they no longer believe. They've substituted the promise for all kinds of things that they do, all sorts of rituals, all sorts of power, but they don't believe. Freedom starts with dismissing our incredulity and beginning to believe and allowing that belief to take us on the adventure that God wants us to go on. Kids, if you don't believe that, it's going to be an interesting life. If you can embrace that, I can't wait to see where God takes you. It's going to be unbelievable. It's like Abraham. He goes. It's like Noah. He builds the boat. What's rain? Okay, I'll build the boat. And God credits, credit it's, I can't speak today, in addition to microphone things. Um, and God credits it to him, there we go, as what? Thank you. I'm going to need your help. Jesus is looking for a few who will believe that they might too be saved. And that's where this story of freedom begins. Because Jesus said, I've come to set you what? And isn't that part of this passage? Did you just read that in there? If you're going to be free, be free indeed. Be free in me. Find some freedom in belief and faith. That's, that's a starting place there. Now let's go to back to our other passage, the bigger one that was uh, being read too. Well, it's actually not bigger, but Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 starts with what was read there by Chantel. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In this context now he goes into the discussion of circumcision. So let me just make a quick comment about this. Legalism is a form of slavery. It's another way of not believing. Is that too harsh? It is another way of not believing. Because what legalism says is I will rely on keeping the law to make me righteous. I don't have to listen. I don't have to follow. I don't have to go. I'm not going to let God determine my doings. I'm going to determine my doings. I'm not going to let God declare my freedom or my righteousness or give me a gift here. I'm going to earn it. And so kids, when you get all mired down in the thought that there's a right way to do everything and if you're not doing everything by the right way there's something terribly wrong with you 
And if you fall into the pit of making your life about making sure you're doing the right thing about everything and you forget the grace that's been given us all, you will have fallen into legalism. Whole denominations have fallen into legalism for periods of time. Some are still stuck there. There are segments of our denomination that are stuck there. Thank God they're few and far between and isolated and not in Santa Clarita. I'm not very good at pastoring legalistic churches. They get irritated with me really fast. The thing is that the law doesn't save you. We know this, right? The irony is that there's so much freedom in keeping law, and yet the law doesn't save you. And so one trap that we don't want to fall into if we're going to be free, truly free, is the trap of legalism. This was the circumcision that he's talking about. Do I have to be a Jew before I can be a Christian? Do I have to observe all of the external symbols of what it means to be Jewish before I'm acceptable to God? Or is simply believing on Jesus Christ enough? This was the question in Paul's day. This is the question. And Paul says, I want you to be free, for Christ has come to make you free indeed. All you need to do is believe. You don't need to become a Jew first in order to be accepted into the fold of God. He's already grafting you in. He's already declared that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. He's already done it. Amen. Now it's for you to embrace. So if you want to fall into a, a religion that is about keeping all of the law, hope that you break none of it because that is going to be the standard by which you're judged. If you're willing to just hear the call and go to the place, if you're willing to build the boat, if you're willing to believe, I'm going to credit it to you as righteousness. I'll take that path. I think I'm going to need it. So far I've failed at, at uh, keeping the law perfectly. So that's one trap, and that's one way that we aren't free is when we embrace a legalism as a form of religion. We're free when we are free in Christ because we've chosen Christ. We've been set free in Him. We love Him. We're ready to serve Him. And ironically, the scriptures say, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll point to this at some point more explicitly, that if we're to be free, we become servants of Christ. But you see, He no longer declares us servants, but what? friends and brothers and sisters. So there's this whole circle that goes with that thought as well. Well, Paul continues through Galatians 5 and says some very interesting things. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. How do you serve God? Loving your brother, serving one another humbly in love. That is the way in which we do that. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. How is it that Paul can say the entire command, or law, is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor as yourself? What is the full command? Love God what? All your heart, all your soul, all your might or strength, right? Okay, what is the second part of the command? And how do you love the Lord your God with all your might, 
soul, strength, etc. How do you do that? Paul can say this is the fulfillment of the whole law because we demonstrate our love for God who we haven't seen when we show our love for our brother and sister who we have seen. Doesn't, isn't that just, that's really unfortunate, isn't it? I mean, a theoretical religion is so convenient. A relationship of emotional connection where I just emote all of this goodness and love to God is so much more palatable than having to love the unlovable. It's so much more palatable than having to be a servant of all. It's so much more palatable than the path of dealing with the hard things of life. But alas, it's, it's not a religion that makes us free. He also says when we indulge our sinful natures, we, uh, we do ourselves a disservice. And, and, you know, it's really awkward talking to a group of families with children and, uh, you know, upstanding citizens about orgies, for example. It doesn't seem to be a huge problem in this community. At least I haven't been made aware of that. But when we take this list and categorize it into a couple of things in general, it becomes very helpful, doesn't it? You see, whatever the specifics may be here, we can tie it all to some of those things that we are all tempted by. There is immorality, isn't there? We can be tempted with lust, with impurity. We can be tempted. We can be tempted in those things. There is idolatry. How often we put everything in our lives, especially our work, ahead of God. We have difficulties sometimes. We're tempted to hatred at a slight or discord. We're prone to gossip. We're not immune from jealousy. Some of us have terrible tempers and struggle with rage. Some of us think we deserve as much as we can get a hold of and race our lives with blind ambitions. Some of us like to see things fall apart and be instrumental in that. We're factionalists. Some of us struggle with substances and addictions and we find ourselves not free at all. Paul gives us this list and it's really a list to a pagan church in a pagan place in a pagan time. We're not so far off of that now. But he gives this list of specifics that people might have a grasp on what he's saying is going to be counter to freedom. Because the old saying that comes through in Scripture again and again is true, isn't it? If you're a slave to sin, I mean, if you're, if you're in, in sin, you're a slave to sin. If you're a slave to sin, you're certainly not free, are you? That's why we choose to be in Christ. Baptized, buried, participating in his crucifixion that we might participate in his resurrection. 
That's why we crucify the old man, as it were, old woman of sin, and lay that on Christ. It's why we try to abandon these things. You see, in negative terms, Paul is listing these things because he wants you to know what freedom doesn't look like. When it comes to sexuality, I mean, freedom not to be sneaking about all the time or concerned that you'll become the victim of the jealous, jealous rage of someone else's spouse or uh, one of the high numbers of adults with uh, sexually transmitted diseases these days that aren't curable. There's all kinds of freedom in being sexually temperate. There's all kinds of freedom in being circumspect. There's tremendous freedom when we don't exercise rage. That moment of really needing to cut the guy off on the freeway who cut us off and exchange hand signals and watch our blood pressure rise and, you know, um, really doesn't seem worth it when we end up clipping a car and causing it to spin into the rail and a child is killed. And we have to live with that for the rest of our lives because we were angry and we were justified in our anger. Freedom, youth, comes from discipline, ironically. When we discipline ourselves in terms of our habits, when we discipline ourselves in terms of our intakes, what we watch, what we eat, what we do, when we discipline ourselves in terms of the way in which we interact with our own emotions, when we discipline our sexuality, when we discipline ourselves, now putting it positively, we achieve freedom from all kinds of potential <coughs> ills and harms. And on the positive side, when we live by the Spirit who has given us freely, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And all of these fruits, against such there is no law. You're good. In fact, in these things, you're free. I don't know how else to put it. I'll try for the rest of this month. There are lots of ways we can talk about freedom, lots of specifics we can look at. But today, in the broadest stroke of things, I want us to think about freedom in positive and negative terms. I want us to think about it in terms of a chosen identity that is followed by action that confirms that identity. I want us to think about it in terms of the gift that comes to us when it's attributed to us as righteousness. I want us to think about freedom in terms of those things that we choose not to do and those gifts that come to us as a result of engaging the command that we love one another and serve one another as Christ has commanded us to do. That when we do this, one child of God to another, we live in the greatest possible degree of freedom that humankind can ever know. 
We're tempted to think of freedom as winning the lottery. And it would buy me a few days off. <laughs> We're tempted to think of freedom in terms of achieving some goal or getting something. We're tempted to think of freedoms in terms of absolutes, like being able to do anything I want to do whenever I want to do it. These things are not freedom. There's only one place to find freedom. And that is in this one who knew Abraham. That is in the I am and the one sent by the I am, the ground of all of our being. Amen. While we are waiting for the deacons and the music, our our offering today is for church budget. We're doing pretty well, but if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that there is room for funds yet to be received. We're a little, about $19,000 behind our stated budget goal as of the end of June. So please be, be generous with God and with your church. Thank you. And so our Christ, we praise you. Oh, you have set us free. Amen.